Torah texts this week are from Isaiah chapter 25, mostly, and 20, uh, 35, uh, a little bit from chapter 14. It's interesting because uh, last week we looked at 24 and 34. So this week it's 25 and 35. Uh, and again, these two, both these chapters, 25 and 35, say basically the same thing, uh, just as 24 and 34. They're basically the same thing. And historically, 24 and 34, uh, talk about the events that take place just prior to what 25 and 35 say take place. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithful and truth. So he starts off with this verse of praise, right? Like we just did in, in the Hodu and praising the Lord, waving the lulav. Praising the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord because of what he's done, because of his counsel and his faithfulness and his truth. He has seen us through. He's done wonderful things. And so we praise the Lord and we exalt the Lord and praise him and thank him. For thou hast made of a city a heap, of a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city. It shall never be built. And so what is this wonderful things that he's done that we're praising him for? Verse 2 tells us. He has made the city, no doubt a reference to Babylon, like it talks about, or the spiritual Babylon, or the cities of this world, or the kingdom of this world, or the devil, the devil's kingdom. God has laid it waste. And again, as we've read in the past chapters, um, God will lay this earth waste. He will destroy the cities. He'll destroy all the things of the city. You know, so... You're holding on to your house too tightly, or onto your cars, or onto your stuff. Uh, it's all going to become rubble, and it shall never be built. God will wipe it out. And so that's one of the things we'll be praising Him for because He has stepped in and has delivered us from wickedness. Verse 4 For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in His distress, a refuge from the storm a shade from the heat, from the blast of the terrible ones, as, is as a storm against the wall. And so we're praising him here in this chapter in context of because he has destroyed the city, so much so that it'll never again be built, that he has destroyed the wicked, wickedness, Satan will never raise his head again, um, rebellion against God will never rise up again, God's deliverance takes place, and he has been a strength to us through that time of distress. Isaiah calls it a time of trouble. Yeshua refers to it as a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. And so again, we see this text, yes, can be pulled out and you could apply it to our, to our lives. In any day of our lives that we're going through, stresses and distresses and trials and problems and, and when we're in need and we can claim this problem, Lord, you've been a strength to me. You promised to be a strength to me. You promised to meet my needs. You promised to, um, to help me and to be a shade for me and to shelter me and be a refuge for me through the problem I'm going through. And so if you're going through something right now, certainly claim this promise for your life because God will work in your behalf and you can claim the promise even before you're feeling strengthened, even before you're seeing the refuge that he provides, even before you're seeing the deliverance that he works out for you. You can claim it by faith. But certainly in context of the chapter, 
we will be praising him because he has been a strength for us and a refuge for, for, to us through the terrible heat, the terrible storm that's coming upon this world. And he will protect us and he will hold us fast. He will cover us with his wings. It says 10,000 will fall at our right side, a thousand on our left side, but it will not come nigh us. God will see us through the time, through the difficulties, but it will be a storm of unbelievable proportion. But God will see us through, and we will praise him. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. That's a wonderful promise for us to hold to right now as well. If you're grieving the loss of a loved one, we can, make, we can have comfort in promises such as this. That he'll wipe away the tears. He will swallow up death. Death will not be a permanent thing to those who love the Lord, to those who trust the Lord. Our loved ones who died in the Messiah, trusting in God, will awake, will arise, and we will be united with them again. And God will wipe away the tears. He'll wipe away the sorrow. He'll wipe away the grieving. He will work for us. But again, in context, we see this time of God swallowing up death, this time of God wiping away all tears from all faces, is in heaven. In our eternal abode, which takes place after the judgment day. The other part of verse 8, the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Another indication there is going to be a rebuke against his people. We're going to be rebuked, as we've read in many other verses in Isaiah. This, again, this time of trouble, this time of... of uh, being insulted and, and, and lied about and, and, and backslidden and persecuted and trials and martyrs and rebuked. But he will take away the rebuke that has been placed on us by the world. So while the world is condemning those who follow God, while the Lord is destroying the devil who has gone in wrath with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith in Yeshua, he will step in and he will rebuke it. He will deliver us. He will take the rebuke away. But in that he takes it away means it was there at one point. So they will rebuke us. They will call us all manner of horrible things. As they did to Yeshua, so will they do to us. As they've done down through the ages, so will they do to us. And they're doing it right now, but even more so. But the Lord will eventually step in and take the rebuke away. He has promised. He has spoken. And in verse 9, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. 
Now, I did borrow this verse a few weeks ago or a few sermons ago and apply it, put it into the context with some of the other texts we were looking at. But in the chapter itself, in the context of the chapter, it's in this chapter. And it does, it applied where I put it and it applies here as well because, again, basically this is a review of what we've been seeing. God takes us through the time of rebuke, takes us through that time of judgment, destroys the city, destroys the wicked, and then leads us into heaven. And when he does that, we said in that day, when we were looking at all those texts where it said in that day, in that day, in that day, in that day, on that judgment day, or after that judgment day, we will say, behold, this is our God. He has come. He has returned to take us home. We have waited for him. and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. So again, obviously, there's this waiting period that he's going to take us through, but that wait will be worth it. He will come through. He who endures to the end shall be saved. He will take us through. So when people say, you know, the Lord could come tomorrow, well, no, the Lord can't come tomorrow. A time of trouble such as the world has never seen has not come yet. We haven't waited for him through that time yet. But he will come. And that time of trouble will come. And that time of rebuke will come. And God will see us through. And he will destroy the city of the devil. He'll destroy the confusion of this world. He'll destroy Babylon the great. And he will come and he will deliver us. And then again, right with Sukkot, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Yeshua, our salvation. He has come, he has saved us, and we will rejoice and be glad, as we read from Leviticus, we're commanded to rejoice for seven days, representing eternity, representing completion, total. We will rejoice before the Lord. And so this chapter took us right on through from the destruction of the city to the time of rejoicing. Now in chapter 14, we're going to look at a few verses here out of chapter 14, and another week we'll look at the rest of chapter 14. In this beginning part, we'll look at verse 1, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and will still choose Israel, and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them. Who are the strangers? That are joined with Jacob, that are joined with Israel? The Gentiles joined together, and they will cling to the house of Jacob. God makes one house, the Jews and Gentiles together in one olive tree, joined together, clinging together. The Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel. He hasn't forgotten Israel. He still chooses Israel. That's God's choice. He still chooses Israel. Now, of course, Israel has to choose him as well. To make it complete, right? The covenant has to be both sides agreeing. And the strangers who will be joined with him also have to agree with God's eternal covenant and join in with that covenant. But God's promise is there. He still chooses Israel and he has mercy on Jacob right to the end of time. We're going to see this chapter again is an end time chapter. Joined together, clinging together to God's and as we read in Isaiah 58, and God's house will be a house of prayer 
for all people. Maybe that was 56. I forget. It's in Isaiah. <laughs> It'll be a house of prayer for all people. Right? God joins the house together, his house, his house of prayer, worshiping together, Shabbat to Shabbat. Verse 3, and it shall come to pass in that day, here's another in that day text that we didn't look at yet, shall come to pass in that day, the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow. Again, another still reference, the rest comes after the sorrow. And from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve. All who live godly in Yeshua the Messiah will suffer persecution. All. There's a lot of persecution going on in the world today, but it's going to be global. Where was I? Uh, for the fear of the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. Like that city referred to in, in Revelation and in chapter 25 of Isaiah. We'll take up this proverb against that king of Babylon. After we've had rest from our sorrow, after God removed the fear and the hard bondage that he, we're made to serve, we'll say against Babylon, verse 4, the oppressor has ceased. His city has ceased. He has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. Who, he who struck the people in the wrath with a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth rests and is quiet. And they break forth in singing, in rejoicing. Again, this king of Babylon, the devil himself, the beast, and false prophet, the whole shebang there, ruling and rebuking and continual stroke and ruled the nations and persecuting, and no one's able to stop him until the Lord steps in. And then the whole earth rests and is quiet. And we talked about that period of time that the Bible referred to where the whole earth is quiet for a thousand years, and then we break forth into singing, rejoicing in God's deliverance, in God's Sukkot. And the cypress tree rejoices over you, and the cedars of Lebanon. And so even the trees rejoice. And even the trees clap their hands for joy. Rejoicing in all of God's creation takes place. And God steps in in his final deliverance. That's part of the waving of the lulav, God's deliverance, the trees praising the Lord. We're singing. All of creation unites in praise to God, in thankfulness to God. Sorrow has been removed. Fear is gone. Death is destroyed and swallowed up in victory. And we live for eternity with God. Now to chapter 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Again, we see this theme. After the troublous times, the wilderness and the wasteland. And the desert bloom as a rose. 
God brings out of the empty parts of this earth and makes them bloom and blossom with God's fragrance and beauty. No eye has seen or ear heard what God has in store for us. But if you've ever been to a garden, you know, a nice garden, uh, you know, decorated garden, sunken gardens here, or you know, some place where they've just got flowers everywhere, and beautiful landscaping, and greens and pinks and whites and purples. The whole earth is going to be filled like that. We'll be able to walk through the flowers and not crush them. They won't die. They may even be springy. Who knows? You know, like, instead of vast expanses of oceans taking up three-fourths of the earth, it'll all be filled in with trees and beauty and lushness, wilderness and wastelands. No more Sahara deserts. Now, there's some beauty in deserts. I've you know, been to some deserts. I'm talking sand deserts. Even those, I guess, have some beauty to them. But I don't know what God's going to do with the cactuses and those animals that live in those places. But that's some beauty, too. But God's going to do something with that. I'll have a section for that, I guess, you know, for desert lovers. But that'll be even more glorious. And some of those flowers on some of those cactuses are beautiful. It'll make them even blossom even more so, even more beautifully than they are. But when it's talking wastelands, it's talking... Sand shall blossom and abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Again, the rejoicing that God calls for. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful of heart, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And if that sounds familiar, it's almost identical to another verse in a different chapter, I forget where, in Isaiah that we recently read. So Isaiah liked this theme so much, again, he wrote almost identical verse twice. God will come with vengeance. Again, the time of judgment. He comes with vengeance. He comes with recompense of God. He comes to repay the wicked for what they've done. He will destroy those who destroy the earth. He will destroy those who have destroyed God's people. He will rebuke those who have been rebuking us. He will step in. Vengeance is his. And so in the meantime, when we're going through that waiting time, when we're going through that time of trouble, he says, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to the fearful of heart, be strong and do not fear. Good text to remember. We can encourage one another. We can strengthen one another. We can help one another through that time. Fear not. Be strong. Do not fear. God will come. He's coming. He's coming again. He's coming. Hold on. Hold fast. Trust in him. Believe in him. Fear not man. What can he do to you? He's like a vapor, will here today, gone tomorrow. God will come, and he will come with vengeance, and he will come, and he will repay. He will take the chaff, and he will burn it up. And he will take us and put us into his barn. He will come. He will deliver. He will save. 
The eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Because the Lord has come, the Lord has worked his deliverance. Death is gone, sickness is gone, sorrow is gone, blindness is gone, deafness is gone. All the infirmities are gone. Sickness and sorrow has fled away. We shall be healed. So the spiritual blindness and the lack of listening to God will be removed, will be awakened. And in 35, verse 5, water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Again, very similar to chapter 14 and chapter 25. Water is bursting forth out of the wilderness. Will cause the deserts to bloom. Streams in the deserts. Coming forth and coming alive. And alive forevermore. On Sukkot, when the temple was still standing, there was a water ceremony. Symbolizing this, reminding us of this, reminding us of the springs of water coming forth. They would come to the temple and the temple mount. They had two large basins there. And a large procession would go there, blowing the shofars and going down and singing and chanting praises to God and going down, down, down to the Pool of Siloam, almost a straight down, very steep descent, sending down to the Pool of Siloam, and they gather in a pitcher of, of water from the, from the Pool of Siloam, which gets its water from, from the, the, the spring of the, uh, oh, it just left me, it was a spring that went underneath the Hezekiah built a tunnel, and the Gihon, spring Gihon, thank you, the Gihon spring where Solomon was anointed, and the water comes through that tunnel that we still walk through today, and goes to the Pool of Siloam, and they gather up that water, and then go the hike all the way back up, singing and chanting, Mayim, 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 Mayim. We'll draw forth wells of water of salvation. And climb all the way back up, early in the morning as the sun is rising on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast. Bring the water back up to the top, up to the Temple Mount. And then they pour together at the same time into these two different basins, which are joined at the bottom. Water into one basin, and the fresh grape juice, it's a harvest festival. The grapes have been harvested, the grapes have been brought in, and they're crushed out, and juice is made from them, and juice is poured over into the one basin, the water into the other basin, and they mix together. And then the two water and grape juice flow together out of the bottom of it down to the Kidron Valley, which goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. The Bible says that in Ezekiel that the waters will flow from the temple of God, from the throne of God, will go down the Kidron Valley and make the Dead Sea alive. And the Dead Sea shall have fish and nets like the Mediterranean Sea and like the Red Sea. So this whole ceremony is symbolism of that, of God healing the earth, bringing forth streams in the desert, waters bursting forth in the wilderness. 
That's interesting. They're mixing it with the grape juice. Right near that spot in the Temple Mount. And on that great day, when they're doing that, in the time when Yeshua was there, Yeshua saw the water ceremony taking place and the water coming up and no doubt everyone was thirsty and tired and born from a week of celebrating and rejoicing, but yet still empty. Yeshua says, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and you shall receive living waters. And the water is poured into the basin with the grape juice and then joined together. Not long after that, Yeshua was taken, not far from there. He was taken and he was killed. And after he died, he was pierced in his side with a spear. And out of his heart, Flew, flowed blood and water together. Like that grape juice and the water mixed together, flowed together down into the Kidron Valley of the next range and down into the Dead Sea. Yeshua is the living water that gives us life. Not just the rejoicing, not just the praising God, but it's having an experience with him that brings forth wells of salvation from inside us that comes forth with joy and with power and with victory. And so this promise that yes, there were, when Yeshua makes the new heavens and new earth, waters will burst forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. But also if we're going through a wilderness experience right now, there's emptiness in your heart. You're dry inside. If your soul is dry and empty, no joy, no love, no happiness, no peace. You're filled with anger and grief and sorrow, sadness and depression, emptiness, loneliness. She invites us to come unto him and drink. He is the living water. And as we drink of that water, as we partake of him, as we invite him into our hearts and souls, as we allow him to remove from us everything that hinders and drags us down and is against him, he fills us to overflowing. But then God's joy and his peace overflow and flow onto others. If you're dry in a wilderness experience right now, ask the Lord to remove out of you everything that's hindering. Any of the anger, any of the bitterness, any resentment, any negativity, any doubt, any discouragement, any lack of faith, any unbelief. Let him take it into himself and let him be pierced for you. And let him fill you with his life. Partake of the life-giving waters of his salvation. And let him save you. Verse 37, the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. God again will turn this earth into a beautiful water filled streams and plants and trees and blossoming blooming flowers. Verse 8 a highway shall be there and a road 
and shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. The road of holiness. The only ones who walk the road of holiness, the highway of holiness, are those who have been filled with God's holiness. Only those who have received his holiness. Only those who have allowed God to cleanse them of their uncleanness. Allowed God to take out the carnal heart and the carnal mind. The carnal desires and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And have been filled with his holiness. Leviticus, it says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's a wonderful promise. God, you promised to make me holy because you're holy. And if you live in me, then your holiness will be manifested in me. Lord, come into me and live out your holiness. God wants to live in us and make us holy in the here and now. It's not something that he does after we die. It's not something that he does after he comes. It has to be done before the books are closed, before the ark is shut, before Judgment Day, before he comes. On the Kohen Gadol's head, it said, holiness to the Lord. God will stamp our head with holiness to him. Our thoughts and our desires and our choices will be holiness to him. He says, let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. He wants to give us his very mind, his very thoughts, his very desires, his holiness. And it will be lived out in us. And it will be a testimony to all the world. And that's why they will rebuke us and that's why they will hate us because they hate holiness. Wickedness hates holiness. Satan hates holiness. Misery loves company. And a godly life is a rebuke to that. Holiness. The way of holiness. We will walk on that highway. In verse 9, No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk. God will redeem us. He has bought us. He has paid the price for us. We are already redeemed. He's paid for us. Accept his payment in your behalf. Accept his salvation that he's already done. He's already been the sacrifice. He's already sacrificed himself for us. We are already redeemed. Accept his redemption. And the redeemed shall walk. The redeemed shall walk on the highway of holiness. Verse 10, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing to Zion with everlasting joy on their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And if that verse sounds familiar, it's a direct Text of what Isaiah said in another chapter. I forget what other chapter was, but we read it a couple weeks ago. I didn't use that one twice. Isaiah wrote it twice, like he did the other one. 
Out of all these texts we just looked at, only one did we use more than once. Another sermon. So this is a theme, an important theme that God was wanting to get across to us through Isaiah. Where he quotes not only a word, not only a phrase, but a whole long text, twice. Wonderful promise for us. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. It'll take us back to the Garden of Eden state all over again. He will redeem us and we will return and come with singing to Zion. Rejoicing because it's Sukkot. The eternal Sukkot. The ultimate Sukkot. And we'll come with singing to Zion and with everlasting joy. God wants to give us that experience even now. The everlasting joy can start now. Doesn't mean problems won't come. Doesn't mean heartbreaks won't come. But we can have joy, inner joy, through the problems. Everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Wonderful promise. We can claim that promise right now. If you're loaded with a care and a burden and sorrow, sighing, troublesome, worried, fearful, anxious, insecure, surrender it to the Lord and receive faith in him. Receive his promise. Receive his joy. Receive his salvation. Receive his redemption. Receive his strength. Receive his power. And rejoice in the Lord. As Paul said, in a prison cell, not just a prison, a dungeon, filthy, rat-infested, bug-infested, damp, cold, abandoned, chained to a wall, dungeon. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. The only way we can say that in those type of circumstances is when we're filled with God's everlasting joy. If he could do it then, we could do it as well. And others, prophets and many others, have gone before us, trusting in the Lord, received the Messiah's salvation, and rejoiced in the Lord. It's that type of joy and that type of faith and that type of holiness that'll see us through and give us the endurance to run the race faithfully to the end. That's what the world's needing to see. A people who trust in the Lord, who walk in holiness, regardless of all the rocks and stones and sticks and names and persecutions and beheadings and shootings that they throw at us, that will stand by faith, look the gun in the eye, bound the barrel, and say, I am a believer, shoot me if you want. God is able to deliver me. And even if he doesn't, I will not bow down. I will not deny him. I will stand firm in faith with God. And he will resurrect me, because death will be swallowed up in victory. And death and sorrow will flee away. And we shall live eternally together 
with the Lord on Mount Zion forever and ever, rejoicing in his presence. And so and there's many other texts in Isaiah that talk about heaven. We'll look at those texts. We couldn't get them all into one sermon. So we'll look at more. We're going to continue to go for the next several weeks. <laughs> of reading about what Isaiah, just Isaiah has to say about the place of rejoicing, of the trees blooming, of the waters coming out of the rocks and flowing through the wilderness and turning the desert into a stream. He's got so much more to write on it. We'll spend another couple weeks looking at those texts as well. But for tonight, if you're fearful of heart, if you're troubled in soul, discouraged in spirit, surrender it to the Lord. Holiness is not written upon your forehead. Holiness is not written on your record. Accept the Messiah's cleansing blood. Accept his power, accept his might, accept his sacrifice. Accept his redemption that he has paid for you. And invite him into your heart and mind. If joy and rejoicing is not a part of your experience right now, receive him. Allow the sorrow and sighing to flee away. And trust in him. If anything else applies to you as we've spoken tonight, God speaking to your heart, we pray, invite him into your heart and mind. Let the waters of salvation burst forth from your soul, from the wilderness. That your soul will blossom like a rose. So we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for these wonderful promises that we can hold fast to and will see us through to the eternal heaven, to the eternal new heavens and new earth with you on your throne. Lord, fill us with your glory. Keep our eyes focused on you, focused upward, and following you more and more, and walking on your road, your highway of holiness. Lead us on that straight and narrow path, that upward path, that righteous path, holding your hand and being held and carried by you. Lead us through. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.